0: It can be hard to have empathy or compassion if you don't have that same experience. And really leaning into like trusting this human that they know their body and empowering them with that is a shift for a lot of us. Because we're like, oh, it's soft or it's comfortable or whatever. And maybe they like something that's crunchy.
1: Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding kids.
2: Hi, I'm Megan. And
1: I'm Stacy. Hey, guys, if you'd like to support the podcast right now, you could just leave a rating or a review. That is so simple and free. It's like a beautiful little early holiday gift to us. Or you can share your favorite episode with a friend. Those small little things that cost you nothing really do help grow our Didn't I Just Feed You audience. And if you do have some money to spend, treat yourself subscribe to our bonus episode feed on apple podcasts or join our Superfan community and you can get ad free stream those bonus episodes and so much more learn all about it at didnigustfeedyou.com backslash community
2: stacy alluded to the holidays and this week's episode already because we are preparing for the holidays emotionally <laughs>
1: Are we? Are <laughs> We've done we? all this
2: make-ahead cooking with our make-ahead holiday handbook, which you can find at you dot com backslash links. But like, what about the emotional side of it? I also feel like at least once, if not more, every holiday season, we get ask these really big questions from listeners, like, "What do you do? What do I do if my kid only wants to eat rolls at our holiday yeah. dinner, and and always has, and like someone always has something to say about it?" Or how do I handle when my picky eater reacts to pressure from relatives to try, like, try the special dish they made? Yeah.
1: So I feel like over the years, through DMs on um, episodes, we've talked about it and we could probably continue to every single holiday season. But we're talking about it mostly from the food side because we are food experts and through our own experiences as fellow parents. But this year, very excited, we brought in an expert to help us all emotionally prepare for the holidays (laughs) because we really want them to be as joyful as possible. But it is a reality that they're also stressful. So how can we manage that so
2: we can just at least be calm, at least calm. Yeah. Right. Maybe not as big of meltdowns or blowups, a yeah. little easier to recover from. Oh, But I am always curious because your kids are a few years ahead of mine. Are holiday emotions easier now that your boys are older or are they just different? Like are is there new challenges? Like they want to go hang out with their friends instead of do family time. What is... What are holidays like with older kids?
1: That's a really great question. So I'm going to say my boys are Isaac's about to be 17. It's wild.
2: It's wild. How and why?
1: So like in about a month and a half, Oliver just turned 14. And like, knock on wood, so far, my boys are, they're in a good place right now, you know? So I feel very thankful for that. Everybody has done a lot of work. (laughs) to be in that place, me and Mike as a couple, each of us individually as parents, both of our boys. So we're in a good spot. I can imagine that if you have a teenager who's having a hard time in the moment struggling with some anxiety and depression, which sadly is very much on the rise uh, with teenagers today, is maybe struggling Social issues, substance abuse—I don't know. There's a lot that can be happening. I'm sure there are lots of layers of emotions that you're still managing for, or helping manage your, helping your kid manage is right, the right way of saying it. For us right now, we're in a season where the emotions that need to be managed are or the parents' emotions. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> um Surprise! So it was really interesting. I don't want to spoil anything that Alyssa said. But it's interesting because maybe that's kind of always the case. Managing our emotions is key to being able to parent effectively as our kids are going through their own big emotions. But right now, a lot of it is Isaac has moved out of the for a couple of years now. He's moved out of the I only want to be with my parents. Like, I'm happy to just be with family Cozy thing and like is always wanting to be with friends, but we still had Oliver. So, you know, we haven't come up on Thanksgiving yet, but Halloween was last month, right? And it was a little bit of mourning because they were both, both are in that phase now where it's all about the friends. So, we did not go apple picking this year. We and there were some extenuating circumstances. I think, you know, our house was still under construction. I think had our house been in a more stable place, I would have imposed like Halloween decorations and all of that. But like we couldn't. So Halloween was just totally different. There was no reason for me to dress up. The house wasn't decorated. I barely saw the kids like I snapped a dark photo in the hallway as they were leaving just to like see them in their costumes because I knew I wouldn't even really see that. And that brings up a lot of feelings for me and Mike about, you know, entering a new phase. It's feeling a little bit like as we start to do college tours and make college lists and all that, like feeling a little bit. I said to Isaac the other day, I was like, wait, no, stop you have to sit with me longer. Our days are numbered. And he was like, oh my God, that is so weird and morbid. <laughs> and I was like, no,
2: they're not number. I don't know. I just mean things are going to change. Yes. Is there a word for nostalgia for the present?
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question.
2: Like that's what feel it feels it like. Because yes. I'm an
1: anticipator. And Mike is not an anticipator, but he's feeling it too. Like it's very emotional. So then our emotions are ratcheted up we start to put pressure on like Thanksgiving. Like, I know you want to be with friends, but no, like you should be here, you know, and you get into those kind of like power dynamics. Right. So I think a lot of what I'm going to have to do is prepare myself for that. Just like sitting in the discomfort of what this season means for me. And like just appreciating that they're here now. I have two teens who are like for this moment, doing well and thriving and just appreciating that.
2: Yeah. And Alyssa is going to talk to us a little bit about this, but like knowing what your expectations are and yeah. also like what's really important to you and what you can let go of.
1: Yeah. And then telling them, because the nice thing about having older kids is that I can say, I need you to respect this. Like Thanksgiving, dinner, in the country, which I know takes you away from your friends like a couple of days before and the day after, that's important to me. But then, like, around those boundaries, let's compromise. Like, what's important to you? Let's figure it out. And, like, that's a negotiation that
2: I can actually have with them because yes. they're older. That is the best thing about having older kids. Oh, yeah.
1: It, and it that they can sure tell is. you,
2: like, sure that they is. think you're dumb or they hate what you're cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Can it. Can anyone I'll tell take I'm take deep it. in the preteen yeah, so years now, right now? Your kids are older too. They're
1: getting they older, are. but they're in that like it, it, I mean, I remember saying this a lot. Like the term tween made so much sense once I had a tween. Like they really are in between these two worlds of childhood and being a like older independent
2: teenager. Exactly. It's hard. It's hard. And so Emmett just turned nine and Ella will be 12 in January. So they are in this sweet spot. There's like still so much straddling childhood. Yes. And in each of them, I can see ways that they're growing. And it will be really interesting to see how those things play out around the holiday seasons. I just don't. I think a a good thing maybe is, like, I don't think about or worry about, like, oh, what are they going to be? What is the holiday season going to be like for them? In some ways, I just enjoy observing. Yeah. Yes. Like, we were talking off mic about how Emmett has really started to kind of, like, stand up for himself a little bit more, both with Ella and with us, and be a little bit more vocal about what he does and doesn't like and, like... We are going to family's house for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, I can't wait to see if he says something about the squash casserole <laughs> or whatever it is that he doesn't like, yeah. or h- like how it looks. And like, he's also old enough that he gets to mostly handle whatever comes as a result of that. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we should dive right in because the conversation with Alyssa is just like so incredibly juicy. Alyssa Blass Campbell has a master's degree in early childhood education, is the CEO of Seed and Sow, and an established podcaster and influencer. Alyssa's podcast is called Voices of Your Village. She's also been featured as an emotional development expert in numerous national publications. She lives in Burlington, Vermont, where she has a toddler and is expecting a new baby in December. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com
1: backslash D-I-J-F-Y and use the code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You, to choose your free offer and get $20 off.
2: This episode is brought to you
1: with support from Whole Foods.
2: Do you ever feel like you're in a never ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share HomeThreads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, Stacey, do you ever think about the emotional nourishment you are giving your family? Um, it sounds like I should. Kids and parents need to learn to manage big feelings. And I've learned so much from the podcast Fluster Clucks. Fluster, what? Fluster Clucks. It's this really funny podcast from anxiety expert Lynn Lyons and her sister-in-law, Robin, helping families manage anxiety and other tough feelings. It's just as helpful for adults as it is for kids. Like how we talk about easy meals and snacks, Fluster Clucks gives tips to improve the family's connection and emotional literacy. Oh, it sounds really cool, but I have a question. Is it full of psychobabble? No, totally the opposite. Robin and Lynn talk about this stuff with humor and real language. Their tagline is even serious stuff without being too serious. I love that each episode offers tips for kids, teens, and adults about managing anxiety, anger, disappointment, you name it. Teach your kids to manage their worry and other tough feelings,
1: and don't be surprised when you learn something too. Subscribe to Fluster Clucks wherever you're listening now. Alyssa, your new book Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, which by the way, I love the title, helps parents build a toolbox for navigating our kids' big feelings in ways that help them develop emotional intelligence. And we're definitely going to talk about some of the tools that you think are really important and helpful for navigating day-to-day life. But we're at the beginning of the holiday season and the holidays just feel different. I don't know. I feel like the is ratcheted up and not just for the kids. And some of that emotionality is positive, right? It's excitement. But a lot of us parents are also stressed out. Some people might even be triggered. We're often having to go to spaces and be with people and be watched by people who perhaps make us feel judged a little bit, bring up old feelings. There's just a lot going on. So I would love to start with how we can prepare ourselves for parenting through the holiday season. Like, what can we do? We'll we'll talk about the tools, but what can we do to kind of like center ourselves and make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and setting ourselves up to use those tools effectively?
0: Yeah, well, that is very on brand for the book, actually, because... (laughs) Um, when you dive into the book, you very quickly realize the method that we created is one part adult-child interactions. How do we build these tools for kids? And the other four parts are about us. <laughs> and so so much of our work focuses on the us part because we can't do the par with kids unless we're doing this with ourselves. And you're right, like when we're going into the holiday season, there's so much added dysregulation at play right? When we're out of routine for us and for kids, when we're out of routine, when we're out of structure totally. and then add in the like all different expectations and triggers and all that jazz. And I was, um, as I was getting ready for this interview, I was telling a story to my friend about being in a friend's house for Christmas one year. We did this like just different thing and she was so anxious about, like, well, this is the Santa wrapping paper, and this is how Santa writes the things, and whatever. And I was like, watching it all happen, and I was like, holy cow, like, this is so stressful. <laughs> no one's having a good time. Yeah, yeah, what is coming up? And so, I, I think this is huge. The like us part is so huge when we're going into the holidays, recognizing first and foremost for ourselves that we are going to experience some dysregulation and that there isn't a world in which I hope everyone like does this work and they're just like regulated all the time and everything's calm and chill and we're all connected and collaborative. It's really recognizing that it's okay to cycle in and out of regulation and dysregulation. And what does it look like when you notice like I'm dysregulated, where do you go from there? Right, So like that's the part of the us work that really fires me up is like normalizing. There's no perfection here. There isn't, it's not like somebody else out there has figured out how to be regulated all the time. That's not a thing. And so when we're going <laughs> through this, really recognizing for ourselves, what are my expectations? What going into this, like, am I expecting that we're gonna go into Thanksgiving? We're gonna go into this holiday season and certain things are going to play out. I'm going to do this. My kid's going to respond this way. The other adults are going to respond this way. And And it's going to be so good. Correct. Everyone's going to have a great time. Everyone's going to be so happy, even though this is, if I look at past experiences, never played out this way. (laughs) This year's going to be different, right? Like when we can really just pause and look at like, what is my expectation going into this for myself, for the kids, for the other adults around me, and then what might be some different realities that play out. We do this with kids too when we're like prepping them for things where we look at like what's plan A? Plan A is dreamy. Plan A is what we all want to have happen. And then what's plan B? What if this thing doesn't work? What's plan C? What's plan D? Like mm-hmm. what are some other ways that this might unfold? And do I feel prepared for that? No. No.
2: Wait, this makes me have a a somewhat like personal question jumping off of the like, okay, we're going to set the stage about what expectations are, because one of my kiddos has what we call big holiday letdown. It can be around Thanksgiving dinner. It can be around Uh, Holiday parties with neighbors or even like Christmas morning itself where there's not seemingly on the surface, there's not a lot of like anxiety or worry leading up to it. And even if the party or the day goes very well, that day is somehow like not meeting their very built-up expectations, even if they get everything they want out of the experience. So how do we deal with that? Like, we've set the expectations, and even if we've landed on plan A or plan B, they're still having big feelings, and we're all, like, kind of in the downswing anyways. We were kind of, like, tired from the party or the day. Um, How do we help them navigate those very normal feelings? Totally.
0: I wonder actually if for them it's that it's coming to an end yeah. and that like this is going to be over and the disappointment of that of like, oh, I've been looking forward to this day. I feel this sometimes when I'm coming out of vacation. Yes. Where like I had a great vacation, things were great, and now I'm sad that it's done and that, like, I had to wait until next year to be on a beach and feel relatively warm because we go to Maine. So, you know, as warm as Maine gets. Uh, And uh, so really allowing that of, like, it's so fun to get to celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever and going through the day and the parts that were really fun. And sometimes it feels disappointing when it's done or sad. It's almost like grieving the end of it and that we have to wait till next year. And then allowing that, that like, it's okay to feel sad that it's done. I get that, bud. I'm here with you. Yeah, You won't feel sad for a long time. Sad doesn't stay forever and it's okay to feel it. And really allowing that. But like, I think for us sometimes to especially around like gift-giving holidays, mm. I think for us as adults, sometimes the idea of like, well, are they grateful can come into this. And so when they're having feelings of like disappointment or sadness, after just getting a bunch of presents and stuff, it's like, uh, bud, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. are you grateful? that all this just unfolded and that really it's two separate things that they can feel both. They can feel grateful and excited about the day and then also sad and disappointed that it's only one day or a couple days or whatever, and then it's coming to an end and really helping them parse that out that like telling them you can feel both of these things. I get that. And that's okay.
2: Yeah, that's really useful. Like just to straight up acknowledge their feelings and allow them.
1: And Something that you've done, and I've heard
2: two different points of
1: view on this over the years, it feels like what you're modeling for us, Alyssa, is helping kids label their feelings, which is something that I always did, and actually, with teenagers, also do a lot of that. And then trusting that if the label I'm applying to their feelings doesn't resonate with them, like kids find a way to push back even if they don't fully have the language for it. You know, if, it, if it's if you're labeling it something that doesn't quite fit, the, they'll let you know and that it's OK. Then you can try other labels and like work it through with them. But like, am I am I understanding what you're saying correctly, that labeling and helping them label their feelings and helping them sort of understand what's going on with them is an important piece Yeah, it's a part of emotional
0: literacy, right? That like, if we don't think of this as like reading to kids or really any other information that we ever give them, if we don't give it to them up front, they don't have that in their toolbox to pull from, right? And when we were researching the set method, this little girl just like jumped out as you were sharing that. I had validated her emotion at one point and was like, oh, babe, it's so sad to say uh, goodbye to mom. And she was like, I'm not sad. I'm mad. I'm mad she's going to work. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, sick. And she was two, right? But like, we had been practicing this. And so she had emotion words in her toolbox. And all that to say that like, labeling emotions is so far from my top priority with kids. Uh, I'm away. Some kids, once you label an emotion, especially in the moment, they fly off the handle. Like, it's like, Doug- I'm not mad. And you're like, yeah, you don't sound it. Uh, and... So when we have that where like if for some kids you label an emotion they feel really seen. It's really comforting. Mm. For some kids when you label an emotion in the moment, it's really dysregulating. It usually mm. feeling hard things for those kids can feel like they're failing. Can feel really close oh, to shame. So deep. Yeah. Yeah, and so when we if if that's the kid that you have, it's totally fine. What I'm actually going to do is in those moments, not label the feelings. I'm just going to label what's happening. We call it sports casting. Where I'm like, oh yeah, we got to open presents and there was so much fun happening and now it's coming to an end and that really stinks. Mm. It's hard when h- fun things end. And I might tell them a story about me and vacation, right? That like I love being on vacation and when it comes to an end, sometimes it's really hard and I just want to cry or I want to be by myself for a little bit. And really guiding them through it without emotion words, if that's what works for them in the moment. And then outside the moment is where I would tie those things in when they're in a regulated state. And I can say, not even like you, I wonder if you were feeling, but just like, yeah, sometimes I feel disappointed when these days are coming to an end.
1: Okay, so I'm hearing sports casting is more important than actually labeling the emotion, certainly in the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, the labeling of the emotions for some kids is going to be key because it helps them feel seen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay, we wouldn't be who we are. Didn't I just feed you if we didn't talk about the dinner table, specifically picky or selective eaters and like the dinner table battles. Um, how can we this is a two-parter how can we manage that day-to-day especially given the like going in and out of regulation and dysregulation around the holidays and then secondly what about during those like higher pressure situations like holiday dinners where you have family members who are there there's like you know cousins around to play and it's harder to maybe get them to sit
0: down and eat or accept new things Totally. Well, I have one of these kids, so can speak from experience. Uh often what we're seeing here, one big thing that comes into play is our, our sensory systems and sensory regulation. Eating and mealtime, especially as a group, is a really robust sensory experience. Um, so kids who are tactile sensitive, like touch sensitive, kids who are like, oh, that's too tight or it's too itchy or whatever. Sometimes we also see this come up in feeding where they're really aware of textures. And mm-hmm. so there are certain foods that don't feel good in their mouth. They feel really uncomfortable. And this is where, like, it can be hard to have empathy or compassion if you don't have that same experience. And really leaning into, like, trusting this human that they know mm-hmm. their body and empowering them with that is a shift for a lot of us because we're like, oh, it, it's soft or it's comfortable or whatever. And maybe they like something that's crunchy. Um, or maybe my little guy will tell me I was eating cottage cheese the other day. And he was like, mom, why do you like bumpy foods? <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, it feels good in my mouth. And he just like made a gagging noise. And I was like, you don't love it. Yeah, it feels uncomfortable in your mouth. That makes sense. So looking at that of like the sensory experience from a just day to day aspect from a touch perspective. And then also in order for your body to sit, which is actually dysregulating for most of us, you might need to pop in some sensory input to support that. So for some kids, it's making sure they have a footrest for their feet to rest on so they're not dangling. Uh, And for my little guy, one of the things that's so helpful, especially if we're going to go out to a restaurant and we might be sitting for even longer than we expect at home, we will do some like sensory activities before, like on the way into the restaurant before we're sitting down. He really benefits from what we call vestibular input, which is like spinning or dipping upside down. So we'll play games where he's spinning around. He will like play with my husband outside where he's literally being spun around in circles uh, before we go into the restaurant for kids who really benefit from that big body play, that proprioceptive input. These are kids who are like Crossfit kids. They love heavy work. They're like jumping off of couch cushion off of the couch and the couch cushion sort of thing. I would look at like how many frog jumps do you think it's gonna take us to get from the car door to that restaurant door? <clears throat> and trying to build in some of this input uh for them before we're then a- expecting them to sit. We're regulating before we then do something that's dysregulating. Now when we're looking at the holiday table, you're also adding in so much visual stimulation. Um Right? Like, if you're a human that is really affected by clutter, if you walk into a space and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like so cluttered in here, it's really dysregulating. Also, kids will be like this too. Visual stimulation for some kids is really dysregulating. So, even just looking at a table full of things and people, every time somebody stands up to walk, to grab something, their brain is clocking that. And so, that's going to be dysregulating. This sounds, we were at my parents' recently, actually. And my brother and his kids and my grandma were there and he turned to me and my little guy and he just said, Mama, it's so loud. Everyone is so loud. (laughs) And I was like, totally. It's way louder than it is when we're at home. Uh, And he's a sound sensitive kid. And so sound is one of the things that's draining for him. And it makes it really hard for him to regulate. And then the things like he's also touch sensitive so that um, textures of food can add up for him. And so for adding visual stimulation and sound and then the touch, and those are all three things that are really draining for his nervous system, this mealtime just got really hard from a sensory experience. And so we're going to look at like, how do we regulate proactively beforehand? Mm. We also have accommodations for him, like he has headphones he can wear or I'll let them know, like, yeah, if you need to take a break for a couple minutes and then come back, you can do that. Uh, and that part is the part that, like, for a lot of us, <laughs> we didn't grow up with that. And so there's going to be a lot that comes up for us around, like, triggers or maybe an adult comment that will yeah, come right. on that, at that table. And this is where we get to be our kid's advocate and know that it's okay to do this differently than how we were raised. And it's also okay if that adult across the table doesn't understand it. It's not our job to convince them. It's our job to advocate for the child.
1: Oh, like that's such a big one. I mean, that was really our next question, right? Is that what do we say? So putting on the lens that you just laid out, that this is about advocating for our kids and not making the people understand, what are some things we can say? Because it sounds like what we want to say, we also want Our kids are also listening. That becomes part of the tricky thing, right? So they're picking up on dynamics between mother and daughter or daughter and father-in-law or whatever is happening. And then they are also understanding that these comments are about them and their behavior, right? So we don't want them to internalize feeling bad about just who they are and what they're experiencing and needing accommodations or like needing to interact however they need to direct. So what are, are there just certain things that you think always work or is there a framework for thinking about what we should say?
0: Yeah. I really look at this as like, I truly believe that everyone has good intentions. Right. And so I'm getting curious about like, why does my dad care if Sage is sitting at the table he wants the hang. He wants everyone to visit and to hang out, right? And so if I can come at it from that perspective of like, he loves the dinner table hang where everyone's chatting and visiting, and that's really cup filling for my extrovert father, then I can go into this with more compassion. And I can validate for him, like, yeah, I also love when we all get to hang around the table and chat. And that doesn't fill him up. That's actually harder for him to do. He loves to chat and connect in smaller groups. And so we let him take breaks if he's feeling overwhelmed and then he can come back and eat when he's ready. And that's how his body works and how he best shows up in the world.
1: Okay. So I have a couple of things to say. One is maybe this is revealing something weird about me. I don't know. But already it sounds like You're doing so much in these scenarios that we're setting up for you, not in your actual family table. I have no idea how it plays out. (laughs)
0: It's just playing out in the family table. So just pulling from experience.
1: (laughs) You're doing so much caring, right? And so much managing. You're like thinking about your child and what your child needs and you're thinking about your father and what fills your father's cup and making sure that you're sensitive about how you speak to him. In the meantime... You and I don't know, Alyssa, I don't know what feels overstimulating for you, but you're probably tired. You're probably <laughs> maybe a little hungry or maybe too full, depending on what point in the meal it is. This sounds great. It also sounds exhausting.
0: I think it's exhausting because we often, when we're looking at dysregulation, what that even means is that our task demands are higher than our capacity. Right. And so when we're going into holidays, our task demands often increase, but we aren't always great at increasing our capacity. So looking at like, what can we decrease from our task demands? And then what helps us increase capacity? So for instance, task demands that I might decrease is like, yeah, I'm not going to clean my bathrooms the couple weeks leading up to this holiday because we're going to be going to my parents and That feels like an added thing on my to-do list and I can get that off Um, or whatever. Like, what can I decrease here? And then for increased capacity, this is what we in the book talk about as proactive self-care. And self-care has gotten so buzzwordy, But for us, it's not like a thing you occasionally do. It's how do you take care of your nervous system throughout the day so that you have capacity? So for me, boundaries are really huge for my capacity of like I set boundaries around Eating my breakfast, then I'm going to sit and I'm going to eat my breakfast, and then I will come see what you're doing. And it doesn't mean my kid's like, great, mom, enjoy your breakfast. <laughs> like sometimes he's melting down and he's like, I want you to come right now. I want your attention right now or whatever. And it's just a boundary that I firmly hold. And so we look at like, what does it look like to increase our capacity? We have so many um, guidelines throughout the book for this of like, what does it look like for you as your unique self? Yes. I'm also a sound sensitive human. And so if there's, like, clicking or tapping noises, I lose it. Like, I, it just, like, really drains me. Mm-hmm. And so to increase my capacity, like, the Thomas the Train toy that drives me absolutely nuts is literally hidden in a closet during seasons where I can't take that. I just can't. And looking at things like, where can I carve out just, like, 30 seconds of downtime for myself can be helpful. I started when I go to the bathroom, I realized I was like scrolling on my phone or, you know, do, checking out from Amazon or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm right now, 7 million weeks pregnant. So I'm going to <laughs> the bathroom a lot. And I was like, I'm going to keep my phone not as a part of this. And I'm going to take deep breaths while I mm. go to the bathroom just to recharge. So looking at like little moments throughout the day that I can recharge and take care of myself. And I think it sounds sometimes like too small, but it's wild how much these small things add up. I think often we're like, when we think of self-care, we're like, I have to go for like a 30-minute workout, or I have to go out to dinner with friends, or I need to tap out for a few hours. And if you're relying on that for self-care, what you're really doing is usually getting into a burnout cycle. You crash and you're trying to recharge from that. And I'm more interested in like, how are we doing this all throughout the day to do like small recharges and like plugging your battery in, uh, in small ways so that then when it comes to dinner time, I have more capacity. I also know that like, okay, I'm going to go into dinner time. I'm going to get this comment probably from my dad. There might be another yeah. comment that comes up. Uh, my child's going to have a hard time sitting at the table. I'm mentally prepared for that. And so I'm making sure going into dinner, I have the capacity for that. It doesn't catch me off guard. I will recharge before I go into dinner in some capacity and really prioritize that. I'm not at that same level of capacity all day long. Yeah, It's when I know I got to be. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With
1: a clothing rental membership from Armoire, Yeah. So it really comes down to taking care of yourself and like really being thoughtful about how you take care of yourself. And then I'm sure Megan has tons of questions, too. Still, (laughs) But one other is you said that you always come from a place of assuming that people have good intentions. And I totally believe and subscribe to that as well. But sometimes even a good intention can be harmful. So getting back to food specifically, especially around food, because that's what we're always talking about. You know, there's a lot of awareness today about picky eating, why that might be happening, you know, how sensory differences in the way that we exactly what you're talking about are the way that we experience the world sensorially impacts how we eat, and especially as we're little and learning to eat and learning to sit at a table. And then there's also diet culture. I mean, the term didn't even exist when I was young. Like my mom, diet culture, what? Like she, no idea, right? So, you know, I have slightly older kids, so I'm also thinking not just about the picky eating and the meltdowns and like, yeah, can't your kid just sit at the table and enjoy Thanksgiving dinner? But People commenting on what the kids eat, whether they are eating enough or they're eating too much, the choices they're making. Well, you barely ate any turkey. Why are you having three pieces of pie, Oliver? You know, (laughs) that kind of thing. Again, I can assume good intentions, but there's also a kind of seriousness, kindness, but seriousness with which I want to respond because those kinds of comments can be harmful.
0: A hundred percent. And I think it's really important to respond again from an advocacy lens for our kids. I think two parts. One, if this is a common reoccurring theme with Mm. certain humans, have that conversation outside of that moment. Mm. Um, When we come in and we say, hey, this is something we've been really working on. I don't want to go into details about it, but here are things that we're doing to approach this. Like, And we will provide the food and they get to choose what they want. They don't have to earn dessert, right? Like that's one of the approaches we're using. And I'm happy to share more about it if you're interested. But if you could help us, here are ways you could help. We're trying not to say like, oh, you gotta have a couple more bites of this or why are you having three pieces of pie? Like here are things that we're trying to avoid and here are things that we can talk about instead. And to have that conversation outside of the moment first and foremost, because when we're in the moment, everything's already gonna be heightened. And then if you, which we can talk about what it looks like in the moment too, but knowing that then this person who is saying the thing in the first place and you're responding is going to feel embarrassment, guilt, shame. Like they're going to feel hard yes, emotions, totally. And they might not not have a toolbox for what to do with that, yeah. and it might come out with like more fire, right? And so, if we can kind of set ourselves up for success going into this, where we have that one-on-one conversation, it can decrease the like limelight of embarrassment or guilt or shame piece um and really just be like a connector of like we would love your support in this this is what we're doing um and it's okay if you don't agree with it and then in the moment if they do say something then at least there's this precursor for this right and you can say like hey i know growing up we had to eat all of our vegetables or whatever in order to have dessert we're doing this a little differently now that our kids get to choose how much they eat of what we provide. And that's our approach to food. And then period, Mm -hmm. like you don't have to justify it. You don't have to explain it. Your kid just got to hear like, this is our approach. That's what mom grew up with. This is different now and allowing that to be. And then outside of that later, if you really touch base with your kid and say like, oh, That felt awkward earlier at dinner when that comment came up. Is there anything coming up for you? How are you feeling about it? Um, To allow them a space to process if they have anything lingering and then being able to dive into that separately with them.
2: Yeah, yeah. I love that it's it's I want to say it's like, oh, it's sticking up for your kid in the moment. But it's also just re-establishing boundaries and showing how, like, yes, you make a boundary for yourself about breakfast. But we also make bre- boundaries for our family in these social situations with extended family. I, I just think that's one of those things that we have to put in practice over and over again. I, I want to talk a little bit. We're ta- like not to say that talking about relatives and picky eating is ne- is negative but in some ways like it is a reality when we talk about c- capacity and, like, increasing our c- capacity, we talk about that it Didn't I Just Feed You as, like, feeding yourself first and finding your food joy moments in whatever is happening, whether it's Monday night dinner or it's a special holiday dinner. So I'm just so curious, what are the things that bring you food joy around the holidays? And what are the, like, things that you look forward to, whether they're parts of a meal or just holiday traditions within your family?
0: Yeah. I, it's so interesting because we're going into this like holiday season. I love Christmas, grew up in a family that celebrates Christmas and I'm due with this current baby December 5th. So like one of the like pieces I've been doing around expectations for myself going Mm -hmm. in is like, what (laughs) really matters to me? What do I Mm -hmm. really care about? Because this is going to look different than it has in the past, um, and, you know, I'm going to be leaking fluids yes. and there's going to be a human who's yes. crying and like no one's <laughs> going to be sleeping. And, like, what, what – so this has actually been, like, so pertinent for me lately of, like, what really matters to me and what does bring me joy and what do I want to hold on to and what, if it doesn't happen, is fine. I love Buckeyes. Yes. Do you know Buckeyes? <laughs> <Yes>, okay, totally. <laughs> it's my favorite cookie. My mom makes them. And my mom and dad will come and be with us through the holidays this year to be supportive and helpful. And I was like, mom, can you please, please make (laughs) Buckeyes? Like, I would like that to still happen no matter what. I don't care if we have to figure out somebody's holding the baby, somebody's playing with a toddler, whatever. Can you make sure that happens? Like, that feels important to me. Um, It's my favorite. And I think I would feel really bummed if we got through Christmas and I hadn't prioritized that happening. I love that. And I, and I know like I probably am not going to have the capacity to make Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to outsource it.
2: Yes. Brilliant. Right? <laughs>
0: yeah. um, so there in the Christmas season is something that I really love. I am like my dad in that like I love the dinner time mm-hmm. like hang or mealtime hang. I love visiting with people. I'm largely an extrovert. I'm not a super sensory sensitive human and my husband and son are both sensory sensitive and more of introverts, they need more time away. And so one of the things that we kind of cultivated pretty early on for us in parenthood was that when my two-year-old needs a break, if at all possible, that my husband takes that with him because it's recharging for both of them. And for me, if I take that break with my two-year-old, I step away from the table I do so and like I can't wait to get back. like I have a hard time being present to my kid in those moments. I feel like I'm missing out on the hang. uh it doesn't fill me up to go like play with a two-year old when everyone's hanging out and it actually is recharging for my husband. So we like pretty early on just like divided that up of it ha- it just makes more sense <laughs> that way. And then there are things times where like, I will kind of like sacrifice my like, I really want to hang for I'm going to go play with the two year old so he can just like have a break where he's not also parenting. Right. So like there's that tag team. But I love the like mealtime visit and hang around the table is really fulfilling for me. Yeah.
2: Well, I hope you're able to get it in for Thanksgiving before the new baby comes. And I'm just going to tell you, I had a November baby and an almost three-year-old, and it was one of the coziest holiday seasons. Like, you have the excuse
0: to just be at home and enjoy it. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for that perspective. I love to be cozy. Yes, Mm -hmm.
2: who doesn't? Thank you so much for joining us
0: today. Thanks for having me. It's rad to get to hang and chat with you.
1: Okay, Megan, that was incredibly helpful also for thinking about how Mike and I deal with each other. Is oh, that weird yeah. to say? I mean, when Alyssa said that her husband is you know more sensory sensitive, and so he's the one like I was like, oh, yeah. Like after all these years of parenting together, why didn't Mike and I ever come up with a clear system like that? Because having to negotiate that stuff on the fly over and over becomes very exhausting. And when you're negotiating in the moment when there's a lot going on. You know, and I'm trying to juggle five things, and he's overstimulated because there are too many people running around and the dog is barking. It's like not the time when we're going to be our kindest or most effective with each other. So I thought it was really interesting
2: thinking about Mike, too. Well, she did say right off the bat that her book is like three quarters about how adults regulate emotions. And it's interesting because I think we both have some, like, family dynamics when, we ha- when we're, when we like, with extended family for the holidays that we, like, acknowledge. And I-, I don't know that we would say that they're, like, triggering for us, but we know that they're challenges. And it's w- interesting to me to look back and be like, oh... I was probably like dealing with some of the sensory stuff, like the overstimulation. And that's why I had this like argument with my mom the Thanksgiving that we were in Seattle or whatever it was like having the information about how stimulus impacts us around holidays and around big feelings and about around just eating regular meals um, gives a lot more grace for the emotions and the reactions that come around those for yeah, everybody, not just kids. Totally.
1: I was thinking about how it, it's a nice, neat little package when, you know, this is true for me and Mike. I, my cup gets filled by hanging out and being with people and he needs the break. So that works. But what happens when both people need a break? A break or they need something that conflicts with what the situation requires from your parenting or. Yeah, I guess from your parenting, you know what I mean? Like, how do you navigate that? I would think can maybe be a little bit tricky. Have you and Brian ever been in that situation? Just
2: rock, paper, scissors it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. You just hash it out. A, yeah, no, this would have been a Who great. Whoever grabs the life vest first. Yeah, it would have been a really great question for Alyssa too. like, right, how do you prioritize? Because even not just in a partnership dynamic, but in a parenting dynamic, if your kid is upset or yeah. overstimulated, and you're also upset and overstimulated. Yes. I do, I do feel like in the parent child dynamic, it's probably that you need to regulate your emotions yeah. first. I do that like I have to sometimes when we're upset Put your mask
1: on before yes you take, yes, yes and totally. we say
2: feed yourself first yep and then I wonder if in the partnership dynamic it's helpful to have a conversation ahead of the holidays about what's important yeah. to each of you and create a plan for like inevitably we're gonna have different priorities like what are we gonna do And then otherwise, like it might literally be rock, paper, scissors or asking the other grownups in your life to step in in some capacity so that you guys can both regulate.
1: And, you know, I wish I could remember where I heard this. Oh, it's going to eat me up. You guys, if I figure it out, I'll put it in the show notes. But I once heard something, maybe a listener will be familiar with this, that We tend to talk about partnerships as being 50-50 and 50-50 being the ideal, right? And that if someone's at a deficit...
2: It's Brene Brown. Oh, there you go. She talked about it. Okay. Okay.
1: I love this so much because it just gives a language, like a shorthand, like a quick way, like the kind of kind of the way a mantra would work for yourself personally, like a quick something that couples can say to each other to help everybody understand where everybody else stands in a moment. So, you know, I, OK, like I have to tell you, Mike, I am only at I am only at 40 percent. And you can be like, OK, I'm at 60 Great, because 60 and 40 add up to 100. So we are at capacity still, or we're at full capacity, rather. But what happens when I'm like, I'm at 40, and he's like, well, because I'm at 20, you know, I I don't know the answer, but having some framework for saying like, oh, I get it here. We're not functioning at full capacity. So something's got to give around us. Right. What's important? What matters? What needs to be let go? Because we are not as a team working at 100 percent. And then like having put like quantifying it, I don't know, it might just be the way my brain works, but quantifying it a little bit is like, okay, so I'm having a hard time, but he's also having a really hard time, too. So where can I give a little bit more and where do we have to just like drop things? Because that's just not going to happen right now. I just found it a really useful framework.
2: Yeah. And I think that she she ends the clip with being like, if everybody's at 10 percent or everybody's at zero, that is the time where like things get taken off the plate. Do we need to cancel plans? Do we need to order takeout? Like whatever it is, it's kind of like. Um, what's the word? Triage. Like, yeah. we got to figure it out and everyone needs some rest. I really like that. I I don't want to take us on too far of a side quest, but do you and Mike have conversations about expectations ahead of holidays?
1: No, and I, I think that we should because I have, with with the second house, things were have gotten a little bit harder, like in some ways nicer, but in other ways harder because I'm not just entertaining for a holiday meal. It's like, oh, geez, Louise, they're they're here still. Yeah, you're hosting a bed and breakfast, basically. Yeah, like they want breakfast, they want lunch. So at the end of, we're actually going to be talking about that this week. But at the end of last year, I was like, we have to do something where like, Mike also is not great because of his ADHD at like maintaining a routine unless there's an external thing like work, like a meeting, like having to be in the office. So, you know, if he has to wake up at eight, he will. But if he doesn't have to wake up at eight, like who knows? Like, And he'll get caught up in a movie and be up till 2 a.m. the night before because he's like, well, I don't have to be up for a meeting. And then I'm like up at eight like making coffee and struggling and he's, you know, snoring in bed until 10 a.m. So giving him some structure that he can count on. He is always incredibly happy to help if he knows what is expected and he knows ahead of time. Like he's not good at having things thrown at him. So we talked about like you're going to do breakfast. You're going to make sure that everyone has coffee and breakfast. Lunch, everybody has to know they're on their own. And I'm going to create a space that's like, this is the part of the fridge you can rummage through to feed yourself lunch. Please do not touch any other part of my fridge. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, let's plan dinners, including a restaurant out, a take-home pizza, like a frozen Trader Joe's, you know, and then, like, divide and conquer. Because it is so much work.
2: I think it's worth mentioning that we have an episode from the summer and you're going to have to remind me if it's in the main feed or it's in our subscriber only feed about how to host a crowd. And we talk about in the in terms of like a long weekend kind of thing. But I think it's very applicable for the holidays and basically this idea of like how you can avoid being a resentful host. I think everyone should go re-listen to that. Yeah, I um, have on my holiday planning to do list to talk to Brian because last year, last year, I keep calling it our annual Christmas fight, (laughs) (laughs) but it does happen typically on Christmas Eve, like after the kids have gone to bed when we're like getting presents out and finishing up last minute stuff where Brian all of a sudden has like these feelings bubble up about like he didn't plan in ahead in advance enough and like make sure that enough was done for me and I don't like have high expectations I do communicate them like way out where I'm like at a minimum my stocking needs to be filled or like I'll share with him a couple of gift ideas to try to make it easy I know for some people they want their partner to like more thoughtful. But I also know with Brian's ADD that like some of some of the like pre planning is just not wired into his brain. And I just enjoy so much like doing it for the kids. But I would like to avoid that one specific argument this year by just being like, here is here are my expectations. And like, here's stuff that you could do now that will help. And also like, we're I'm communicating it now that you don't need to be we don't need to get upset about this. I don't know what that will really look like, but we made notes together after last holiday, like in a shared notes document of like things that we really enjoyed and things that we don't necessarily want to do again. And like, did we have enough food and like, should we made too much of this and all of that? So so we'll look at those together too. I
1: have one other thought that I'll share from personal experience too. Okay. Another thing that Mike and I, it's like we took half the step, but we never took the full step. Hi, mom. I love you so much. Uh, But sometimes before my mom is going to spend an extended amount of time with us, I'll tell Mike, I need you to be present because he just gets overstimulated by anyone being there all the time. Like he just needs to take breaks the same way Alyssa was saying her son and husband do. But I'm like, the minute you step away and you take a break, that feels to me like unstructured or it's taking a long time or you know again it's the ADHD thing it's the planning like it's not like he's like i'm going to take 20 minutes and then he comes back like he goes and he might fall asleep or get lost on his phone or like start a project and then like sometimes he'll be back in 20 minutes sometimes he'll be back in 3 hours and i then start to get like wait like i'm alone dealing with this and i have articulated it as i need you to be more present I'm not trying to say, like, you know, whatever feels like emotional labor to you, dear listeners, you need to be aware of that and figure out, like, what emotional labor feels like you're just doing too much for your partner and you need to put up a boundary and have them do something for themselves. For me, this isn't too much emotional labor, like sitting down and having a conversation with Mike and getting clear on more concrete things, because telling Mike something like, be present,
2: is like, not very don't... helpful. He's like, I, yeah. don't,
1: I don't know what you mean. And then inevitably he feels like he's failed. But he's yes. like, I don't even know what I failed at. Like, I didn't know what you wanted. Right? Yes. So that's another thing that we're going to work on this year. It's just being really specific with
2: each other. I love that so much. Maybe this is a good reminder to subscribe if this is your first time listening to did Just Feed You? Because maybe we can report back in January how our holidays were.
0: Also, if it's your first
1: episode, (laughs) they're not all like this. Mostly we're talking about hot dogs and
2: nachos. But, you know, food gets deep. So here we are. And it takes it It takes a lot. Like, I think we just have to so acknowledge much. that. I was thinking about how much more this must have been for my mom, who was a single mom. Yeah. To do holidays. Totally. And I was like, man, in some ways she didn't have to deal with the partner part of it and like in-laws and things. But there's probably a lot more that she had to deal with. Too. Um, And just there's so beyond the logistics, there is the emotional component to feeding our families.
1: I love ending on a compassionate note because I just talked about how it's hard for me to be (laughs) around my mom a lot. So I'm going to tell, I'm going to have compassion too. Because for my mom, you know, my dad was present and then my dad was remarried and had my sister who I absolutely adore. And she was like my little toy. When we were young. (laughs) a little baby doll. She was. I loved being around her and she loved being around me and we're still very close to this day. So like on top of having to do everything on her own and for her home, then like I was gone for a good part of the time. Like I was with my dad and I was with my dad having something that I'm sure felt like it was more idyllic to her. And that must have been really hard. Yeah. Okay, mom, come hang out for the whole weekend. I love you. (laughs) All right, guys. You know what this means. We're going to take it to our listeners community. We hope that you've joined us there. If you haven't, you can join for free. We know. At the top of the episode, we talked about rating and reviews. We talked about sharing an episode. That's a nice little free thing you can do. And then we talked about the supporting membership. But there is also an in-between option. If you go to you.com backslash community, You can also check out our free community space where there's so much fun stuff happening. Recipes are being shared. Advice is being given. You know, commiserating is being had. And Megan and I are there hanging out too. So join us.
2: Please. And also, maybe subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the details for that on our website at Didn't I Just Feed You.com as well. And then follow us on Instagram where we are at Didn't I Just Feed You. A huge thank you to our producer, Samantha Getzick. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacey. Stay sane and well fed until next
1: week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening.
2: And don't forget to rate and review.